Crest in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon to you all. Happy Thursday and welcome to another day of Cresta in the Afternoon as we continue this 2023 Cresta in the Afternoon countdown. And today we kick things off with number 21, The Catholic Church's War Against Slavery. This is a book that actually resulted out of some of the turmoil of 2020. You may remember, who could forget the two big things of 2020? One, of course, was COVID, and the other big story that really dominated news headlines was the fallout of the murder of George Floyd, America's racial reckoning, America having to repent for its original sin of slavery, as some people called it. Lots of different things that fell under that umbrella of conversation. And, of course, that would lead to uh, a lot of accusations that the Catholic Church you know, never condemned slavery, or the Catholic Church owned slaves, or different things like that. And one of the things that's forgotten is that slavery did not begin with the Atlantic slave trade. Slavery goes back basically as long as civilization goes. And one of the things that Paul Kinkor does in this book is trace the history of some of the Church's different statements against slavery. This sin this, that is as old as uh, human history itself, and as Paul points out, the one living institution that has condemned slavery longer and more consistently than any other is the Roman Catholic Church. He'll be joining us throughout this hour at number 21 in this countdown. And then uh, in the next hour, we get to number 20. <clears throat> the uh, Another big story that was the big story of the last four months or so has been uh, how, what happened with Israel and Hamas. And... Mona Sharon will be joining us. She has an excellent article in which she points out that Hamas uses Israeli's humanity against it. Uh, the 24-7 news cycle, coupled with the design of social media, has given our society the memory of a goldfish. So people will forget what started this whole war, and they're only seeing what's the latest thing to happen. And the other thing that Mona points out, she as a Jewish American, this hits to a very close to home for her, is something that another one of our guests pointed out, which is everybody says, why don't why doesn't Israel just negotiate with Hamas? Well, Hamas's whole goal is to exterminate Israel and have Israel cease to exist. And so it's hard to negotiate with somebody whose exact response is always going to be, we're going to kill you. And as another one of our guests pointed out earlier this year, um, it's kind of, they're at a sticking point because Hamas wants us to die and we refuse to. We explore some of those things with Mona Sharon in the next hour at number 20 in the countdown. And finally, in this for today's program, at number 19, a plan for protecting religious liberty. Uh, June 22nd, the feasts of St. Thomas More and John Fisher, the USCCB kicked off Religious Freedom Week. Religious freedom has made progress in America, but Helen Oliver thinks there's still work to be done. And she joins us with a look at her book, Religious Freedom After the Sexual Revolution. All of that coming up after this news break. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News. For Thursday, December 22nd, it's the Feast of Blessed Judah of D.C. Botenberg. Today's news brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at AveMaria.edu. St. Mary's College in South Bend has decided not to implement its plan to enroll male students who identify as female. 
The change was announced today in an email from University President Katie Conboy, writing that when the university leadership first approved the plan, they believed, quote, it affirmed our identity as an inclusive Catholic women's college. Conboy continued that the backlash against their decision showed that they were mistaken and apologized for causing division within the community. U.S. airlines are prepared for a busy holiday season. The FAA says they expect to be at the busiest travel day of the week and busier than this time last year when thousands of flights were halted by stormy weather. The trade group Airlines for America expects more than 39 million people will fly over the holidays. Israel is showing the world what it calls a vast tunnel network under Gaza City created by Hamas. Israeli officials say it included command and control centers, meeting rooms, and hideouts for top Hamas leaders. Israel isn't confirming reports that has begun pumping seawater into those tunnels. Former President Trump says he's not an insurrectionist. His comment on Truth Social today comes after the Colorado Supreme Court ruled that Trump engaged in an insurrection during the 2021 Capitol riot and cannot run in the state's presidential primary, which Trump plans to appeal. Trump noted that he told his supporters on the day to march to the Capitol, quote, peacefully and patriotically. Today will be the shortest day of the year in the U.S. Winter solstice beginning at 1027 p.m. Eastern tonight, marking the start of winter in the Northern Hemisphere. Today, the sun is at its lowest angle and the path across the southern sky will be casting its longest midday shadows. From your AveMariaRadio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. The best. 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 Of Crest in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 21. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. As we're coming in, uh, introducing the hour, I told the story of uh, being an undergraduate and hearing time and again uh, that the Catholic Church had been slow to come to its condemnation of slavery. I wasn't a Catholic at the time and didn't pay a lot of attention to it. I didn't feel I had to defend the Catholic Church at all. But years later, when I did become Catholic, I came across a book by um, Joel Panzer, a little, fairly small book called The Popes and Slavery, uh, when I was browsing through uh, Alba House Bookstore in Dearborn. And I found that, in fact, the Church had had some ex- very explicit condemnations of uh, slavery. Uh, I mentioned uh, earlier at the top of the hour that uh, Pope Eugene the the fourth or Eugenius the fourth condemned the enslavement of the Canary Islands, the people of the Canary Islands. He condemned the injustices had to be corrected in fifteen days, or excommunication uh, went forth. Unjust racial slavery was condemned when it was discovered. When it was, it was condemned in the strongest of terms, and popes reiterated it through history. So why is it then that it remains one of those? I call them principalities and powers or strongholds. Why does it remain that the Catholic Church has was slow to come out and finally condemn slavery? Well, we now have a professional historian who's done serious work on this, and it's our friend Dr. Paul Kengor. Paul is the author of many books. Most recently, though, the one we're talking about today, The Worst of Indignities, The Catholic Church on Slavery. 
Uh, Paul has, uh, you know, written many spiritual biographies of Ronald Reagan, Hillary Clinton, George W. Bush. He's done tremendous work on the Catholic Church and the Cold War. And uh, he's a professor of political science at Grove City College in Grove City, Pennsylvania, a senior academic fellow at the Institute for Faith and Freedom, and is editor of The American Spectator. Paul, thanks, and congratulations on this book. Oh, well, thanks, Al. Yeah, it was... um... I don't know if congratulations are in order. I mean, sometimes, sometimes going through this uh, this research and having to reply to all these different attacks on the church can be can be um, very frustrating. Yeah, and and very difficult. In fact, I remember it's probably been a few years now. You did a you did a series, I think, on clubs to beat the Catholic Church. That's right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I remember the Crusades was one of them. I right. think maybe Galileo was another. Right. And 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 th- yeah, this has developed into one as well. That's right. right. The idea that um, well, the Catholic Church didn't ra- get around to condemning slavery until you know Pope Leo the Thirteenth, or if you look around, you'll even see some claims of not until Vatican II. Yeah. And yeah. and 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 this is this is one that's really shocked me because because I've known for for years. And I did, I mean, the, the genesis of this book was I did a piece for Crisis Magazine in, in July 2020, right in the middle of the kind of, you know, horrible summer of 2020 yeah, with all yeah. the uprisings and the George Floyd stuff and everything else. And it was called Roman Catholics, the Original Abolitionists. And my friend Scott Hahn got after me to turn it into a book. But, but I wrote then, back, back in that article, that the Church had been condemning slavery since at least, I mean, you want to go by formal papal statements, uh, Sicut Dudum by Pope Eugene the Fourth in yep. in January fourteen thirty five, and you know that's that's four hundred years before Wilberforce, yeah, <laughs> and, and the Brits, right, right, it, right, four hundred thirty years before uh, before the end of our civil war and. And, and in fact, that one on that one, Sikudutum is is called against the enslavement of, of 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 black Indians in the Canary Islands. Yep, that's that's what and, I was referring to. Yeah, yeah, and and the the title of the book, "The Worst of Indignities," the Catholic Church and slavery, "Worst of Indignities," that comes from a phrase by Pope Pius X, who called um, credited slavery. He, he said, "Who who invented slavery? Satan did." Yeah. And that echoes what Pope Paul III said in 1537. Right. And in right. you know, 1400s, 1500s, the Church is calling for excommunication of yeah. know, lay people, the princes and kings who engage in slavery. And, and our Church, Al, even called for reparation yeah. of, of, of all things, right? Yeah. yeah. Which, 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 you know, makes sense, giving our, our theology. When you commit a sin, you make reparation for That's it. That's right. That's right. So, so, our, and and then I, I'm sort of jumping around, but I will talk about this. But I mean, there are statements back to the Council of Ogden in the year 506, uh, Saint Patrick, uh, Gregory the Great, and on and on and on. And this is one of the ones that, that's just left me so baffled how anybody out there can be saying, and, and believe me, they're saying it right now uh, that the Catholic Church launched the slave trade, made possible the slave trade, didn't get around to condemning slavery till Vatican II. There's no excuse for this kind of profound ignorance. No, it, it, There's just none at all. So, given the clarity of the papal teaching, what is it 
that allows uh, enemies of the church and even those who might be favorable to the church, but just haven't looked into it. What? Why, how does? How do they ignore these explicit condemnations? I mean, are there documents that? I mean, I, looking here at a. One of the criticisms of uh, Joel Panzer's book, The Popes and Slavery, is that he wasn't uh, familiar with this doctoral dissertation by, um, uh, looking for the guy's name now, it's an, it's an unusual yeah, name. Fa- Father, Father Adele. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I, I don't mean this as a, as a snarky insult, but um, Father Adele's dissertation, really hardly anyone's aware of it, and it's, and it's new. It, it just came out, and and to be completely candid, um, even with all the research that I did, I wasn't aware of, of, of Father Adele's work until uh, my editor Tom Nash yeah. discovered it and said, uh, "You might want to take a look at this." Yeah, yeah and, good. and and we had trouble finding it in 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 in, in English. I mean, it, it took a while, and yeah. then and then I went through it, and I I mean, I could have easily ignored it. No one would have ever known that I ignored it. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I, I want to be fair and I want to, you know, I want to, if there's criticisms and something I'm missing, I mean, I, I don't just say this, right. I, my interest is the truth. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. And, yeah. and, and, and I really regret to, to having start this book to, in the introduction where I've had to talk about Pope Nicholas V, who, who put out two statements, Dumb Diversus, which came out in June, 1452, and, and Romanus uh, Pontifex in, in January 1454, and no one is even sure about those dates. And those two documents are really hard to find. And just in the last couple years, uh, maybe eh, maybe a little bit longer, Al, those are being trotted out as doing nothing short of you know launching the slave trade. Wow! <laughs> right? Yeah. But 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 the, but those. So I deal with those right off in the introduction. So if you look, if you string together hundreds of papal statements, uh, bulls, exhortations, encyclicals, quotes from popes, quotes from saints, and on and on. I'm talking hundreds of them. The only two anomalies in the entire string. Are those two by Nicholas V? Okay, and 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 they're dealing with the time of Constantinople, fourteen fifty three, mm-hmm. and and I I'm not exaggerating. I emailed over a hundred Catholic scholars, and I can quantify that because I I actually went to a couple full lists of Catholic social scientists mm-hmm. asking mm-hmm. Yeah, asking people, what do you know about these two? What, what do you know about these two statements? Because you know these are utterly confounding. And what you know? What what's up with these? These do these do not fit. You know, these these are these have got to be anomalies. Yeah. But 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 that said, even dealing with those two, that that some scholars have just noticed in the last few years and are exaggerating to crazy proportions, given what everything else the church has said. I mean, you can't as a scholar that you pick two things. Ignore the other two hundred, right, 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 and no, focus on those two. You can't do that. And, and in, in fact, I haven't either. I mean, I've, I've dealt with them up front, but but yeah, you know, those are the only two in an otherwise incredible record by our church that that I mean, no other institution in the history of humanity, right, 
can can match the Catholic Church yeah. in opposition to slavery. None. And, period. And, and None. you you would hope that would be the case because it, it's in our DNA. You know, I mean, from the <laughs> Exodus forward. I mean, so right, so right. you'd hope that there'd be that consistency of thought on those two documents, the bulls of Pope Nicholas V that you refer to, Dum Diversus and Romanus Pontifex. Pontifex. Are, do we actually do we have um, f- do we have the full documents and are, are they available in English? Well, they're hard to find in English. Okay, and so I had to go to a couple of different uh, websites in where they're they're posted in Latin and Italian. Okay, and and I had to translate them. Yeah, and I had to spend you know, a lot of time you know, doing. I, I I know Italian pretty well. I, I, I don't speak it fluently, but I can read it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I, I did my own translations, and then I ran them by other people. And, and so a lot of it can depend on how you're translating these. Yeah. And, and I got so many different interpretations and documents and even, like I said, differing dates. And, and, and I should note, too, that um, Father Joel Panzer, in his excellent book, I did not know that that book even existed until yeah. about two or three years ago. Yeah, uh, it, they're not in his book, and I, um, <laughs> Father, if you're out there listening, <laughs> I, 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 I emailed him. I tried to track him down uh, to find out if he knew anything about him. They, right. they really are mysterious. They're, they're, they're anomalous, right? They're, they're definite anomalies, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and they're they're hard to figure out. My 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 interpretation is they're not good. Um, I, I I don't think they're good. Yeah. But they definitely don't explain the church's position. They don't explain all the tradition. And after. Yeah. No, yeah. not at all. Not Very at good. All. We'll come back and we'll start digging into the the church on slavery. Dr. Paul Kengor is my guest. The worst of indignities. The Catholic Church on slavery. The title of his newest book. I'm Al Cresta. It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. We'd all love to do more to serve others, but where do you find the time? Well, it's easy if you remember that Christian service begins at home. Remind your family that everything God's given you is meant to be passed on to other brothers and sisters in the Lord when you're done. Encourage your family to take good care of the clothes, toys, furniture, and other blessings you've been given so that others can delight in them when it's their turn. Then once per season, as a family, gather the gently used clothes, toys, and other goods you've finished enjoying and bring them to your parish or other community center that can donate them to other families who are waiting to be blessed as you have been. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. When we ask God our Father to deliver us from evil, are we referring to an idea or a person? We are not referring to an abstraction, says the Catholic Catechism. We are referring to a person, the evil one, Satan, the fallen angel, who throws himself across God's plan of salvation accomplished in Christ. Jesus labeled Satan a murderer, a liar, and the father of lies. We do not pray alone. We pray in communion with the Church for the whole human family. Our interdependence in the drama of sin and death is turned into solidarity in the body of Christ, the communion of saints. 
If one entrusts himself to God, one does not dread the devil. Victory over Satan, the prince of the world, was attained once and for all when Jesus freely gave himself over to death in order to give us his life. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. He was a pope, a saint, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. Pope St. Gregory I the Great is one of only four popes honored as the Great. Among his many achievements was sending missionaries across northern Europe, especially St. Augustine of Canterbury, who brought Christ to the people of England. In a pun, Pope Gregory called the English people angels. He died in 604. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. The best. 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 Of Crest in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 21. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Dr. Paul Kengor. We're looking at the topic, the Catholic Church on slavery. Uh, <clears throat> many people, I, I would say even the vast majority of Catholics, have no idea the strength of magisterial teaching in its condemnation of slavery. Uh, but there's a lot of fog surrounding that. Uh, in the first segment, Paul and I talked about two documents um, again, that stand out as anomalous to this great body of teaching. It's uh, from Pope Nicholas V, 1452-1454. Again, that's just <clears throat> two decades after Pope Eugene IV condemned slavery in the most uh, vivid terms, even calling for excommunication of those who would not release uh, their African slaves in the Canary Islands. So, Paul, so let me let me go to this question of fog. It, are, are there different definitions of what constitutes slavery? I mean, I know ancient slavery in the Roman Empire is not the same as the kind of chattel slavery and racial slavery we've had in the United States. So I'm wondering, when the Catholic Church talks about slavery, 
What's the definition? Well, that's a good question. And I mean, yeah, there's certainly different forms. In fact, today we have this uh, 1619 project, right? Yeah. That uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones has been pushing in the New York Times. There's actually a book, Al, that came out, I think it was 2007. So it was before before the the, 1619 even caught on. And, and, and it was about 1618 <laughs> and the book is called, the book is called white cargo and, and it actually did pretty well. I, you, you might be aware of it. You might've read it, but, but the, the first slaves to come to America were white. They were, they're about, in fact, the book white cargo estimates about 300,000 indentured servants okay. that, that came to America um, from Britain, from, yeah. from the UK beginning in the year 1618. And and you know, people say, yeah, but they they weren't treated as as bad as as the black African slaves as a whole. No, they weren't. But many of them were treated very badly. I mean, many of them were whipped, abused. I mean, a lot of them were able to. They were serving time in order to get off. It was a, kind of a short term slavery, but um, but they were auctioned. You know, they were they were treated very very poorly. Yeah. Um, we had even after. And this is going to shock the the woke out there. Uh, you know, we're, we've now replaced they they want to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. I got news for you, folks. Yeah. You know, the the so-called five civilized tribes, the Native Americans, the Cherokees, the Choctaws, yep. and the other. Right. Uh, a, a number of them fought with the Confederacy in the Civil War. They they owned Black African slaves. They own them still after the Civil War. And to this day, and there are some black Americans listening right now, they're nodding in agreement. They know what I'm talking about. There are lawsuits by some black American ancestors of those slaves against the civilized tribes, the Native American Indian tribes who enslaved their black ancestors. Wow. So, so you know, that, you know, that went on after the Civil War in, in, in the United States. Uh, you know, slavery goes back to... Uh, so what we call the transatlantic slave trade, uh, scholars usually start that around the year 1444. Okay. And, and you're talking millions and millions of slaves, you know, black African slaves. By the way, about, Al, about less than 5% of those came to North America. So about, about 4.4%, it's estimated, came to North America. They mostly went to Spain. Um, Portugal. Oh, and the number one country, Brazil, Brazil, and Brazil still had. In fact, one of one of the ex-slaves that I that I profile in in this book, who's a great story, is uh, Blessed Francisco de Paula Victor, um, 1827, died in the year 1905, who was a black African slave in Brazil, who became a priest, yeah. was ordained. Uh, Brazil, Brazil was number one. Wow. So, so for people out there on the political left who are, you know, defining everybody by skin color, uh, which I don't want to do because I hate that. It's so degrading. But if this is how they score things, uh, you know, darker skinned people in Brazil, or at least people in Brazil aren't Northern Europeans. Yeah. Right. You know, they were owning black African slaves yeah. longer than we were, longer, longer than the Brits were. And, and again, transatlantic slave trade begins in 1444. Yeah. The first papal bull statement against slavery um, was 10 years prior to that. Yeah, 1435, uh, yeah. I think. Yeah, Pope yeah 1435. Yeah. And 
Right, that's right. And in fact, uh, Joel Panzer starts his book with that one, the Sicu Dudum 1435. I found one online, and we're going to find more and more online as scholars go through the stuff, from uh, December 17th, 1434, Creator uh, Omnium. So that's... What was that one years. again, Paul? I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, it's called Creator Omnium, okay. and that is December 17th, 1434. Wow. So that's 10 years... Wow. Before the start of the transatlantic slave trade. And, and for scholars today who want to say, uh, well, boy, it took the church a long time to, to denounce uh, black African slavery. Whoa, 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 whoa. The, the, black, the black African slave trade started in 1444. Yeah. The, the church yeah. was condemning this in 1434. And there's a 1435 church statement explicitly against the, the enslavement of black Indians in the Canary Islands uses the word black in the actual title. Yeah. Now, now yeah. somebody else could come in and say, where was the church late? It was late in condemning white slavery <laughs> and, and slavery of Jews and Gentiles. Yeah. Where was the church from the year of first century to 1434 on that? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. That you could condemn. And to broaden this even more, um, scholars estimate that slavery began, of course, as everyone knowing Christians listen to this show know, it didn't begin in 1444 with the transatlantic slave trade. Right. Right? I mean, it, it's in the New Testament. It, yes. It's in the Old, Old Testament. Testament. It's been a feature of human history since the fall, I assume. So. Yeah, I, I mean, the Jews in, 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 in Egypt, and, and, and scholars trace slavery back to ancient Mesopotamia, and uh, the Tigris and Euphrates, modern-day Iraq, and go look Tigris and Euphrates in your Bible. Yeah. It talks about it in the book of Genesis it, as the site of something called the Garden of Eden. Yeah. So slavery goes back to, you know, like, right after the Garden of Eden. Yeah. This goes yeah. back, like, 8,000 years B.C. So, so unfortunately, uh, this evil, and it's indeed an evil, uh, it, it ha has touched... Not just you know, um, black Americans, right? But but almost every culture. I, I I often look back, Alan. I think wistfully. Oh man, if I could go back four hundred years and live with my ancestors in Reggio Calabria, Italy, how wonderful <laughs> that would be. Those poor people lived under constant threat of the Muslims, the Barbary pirates, right? right? And the Muslims right. are to this day the king slavers of all time, coming in and capturing their girls and taking them off into slavery, capturing their boys and turning them into janissaries, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. The Crusades, we were fighting to, because the Muslims were enslaving all the Christian peoples in the, in the year 1,000, 1,100, 1,200. The, so, so this has gone on forever, unfortunately. Now, the conditions for slavery, I mean, wartime, right? You, you take prisoners of war, they become slaves right. for you. Um, when... What other kinds of slavery um, do we have? Well-defined ways for, in the Roman Empire, for instance. Do we? How were those tra slaves dealt with? Because in some cases they seem to have been able to work for their freedom. Um, what? How were they? Cons were they? They weren't there for racial reasons. So, they, were they victims of war? Uh, were they just lower class people that upper class people decided to uh, employ? You might say uh, as members of the household. Where did slaves yeah, come well, from? Yeah. 
Well, oftentimes, and and they and slaves were always seen as, as kind of a booty, right? Yeah, yeah. Of, of of wartime, and in the in the eighteen hundreds, there, there's just this awful quote from from the Sultan of Morocco, who you know he's talking about Wilberforce and the British government in the nineteenth century, and you have all these Christian abolitionists, right? And 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 the Sultan, this is a quote from the Sultan. He's incredulous. He's confused. He says, the traffic in slaves is a matter in which all sects and nations have agreed upon from the time of the sons of Adam up to this day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, like he, doesn't, he doesn't understand. What are these people squawking about? What's all this morality this is, stuff? That's right. This is just <laughs> natural. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, it, I mean, it's in our Quran. Yeah. Uh, Muhammad had had slaves. He was a warlord. Yeah. Uh, he had concubines. He had slave girls. The purpose of the slave girls was for him to have sex. Yeah. With them, and and he and he, he even he says here, no one need ask this question, right? I I I, I don't understand this. Yeah. And, and 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 there's a reason why it continues. The the last nations to abolish slavery have almost been all Muslim nations, late 1900s. And people listening right now, Google U.S. State Department report on modern slavery in the Sudan yeah. in the 21st century. It's still going on in the Sudan right now. That's right. With with you know, black Muslim Sudanese capturing Christians yeah. there, yeah. And, and 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 ISIS is doing it right now, and and you know the Islamic State that they're trying to establish. They they have sex slaves with yeah. young girls. They have and they have. Boys that they're capturing and turning into soldiers, forcing them to become Muslims and fight against Christians, like modern janissaries. Uh, so, so it, it unfortunately it's still going on to this day, and and, and that's the kind of slavery that that we that we were experiencing in America, right, 150, 200 years ago. And then beyond that, as Pope Francis has wonderfully talked about, probably more than any other pope, there's there's human trafficking, going on now. sex trafficking. Yeah. The Caviezel movie that just came yeah, out. Yeah. In fact, the group Free the Slaves, they estimate that there's anywhere from like 26 to 40 million yeah. slaves yeah. in the world today, according to, you know, their different definitions of different types of modern day slavery, um, not all of which is sex trafficking, not all of which is like what you might call, you know, economic slavery, which I think is kind of playing a little bit more loose with some of the terms here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but a lot of that is kind of classic chattel yeah. slavery. Yeah. That, that that's still going on. So this has been here since the dawn of humanity, unfortunately. Uh, but the one shining light that's morally condemned from the beginning, uh, longer than any other group, has been the Roman Catholic Church. And we're going to continue unpacking uh, Paul's research, the Catholic Church on slavery. The book is called "The Worst of Indignities." Uh, this is one of those volumes you want to keep uh, available because it attacks one of those. Uh, strongholds of uh, intellectual. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Finding health care for yourself and your family can be isolating and confusing. That's why the Catholic Health Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering Christ-centered health sharing for individuals and families, along with new wellness services to help heal and restore your whole person, spirit, mind, and body. Visit cmfcuro.com to find out more. That's cmfcuro.com, where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. 
The Catechism defines evangelization as the proclamation of Christ and his gospel by word and the testimony of life in fulfillment of Christ's command. But what does that look like in real life? It looks like the St. Paul Evangelization volunteers out on the street, sharing the good news with people in a non-confrontational way, handing out free sacramentals, listening to them, praying for them, teaching them, planting seeds, and letting the Holy Spirit make them grow. Visit StreetEvangelization.com and learn more so you can get involved in real-life evangelization. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, Teach Me to Pray, the free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to His voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord, Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Christ is the answer with Father John Ricardo. I repeat, I'm sure ad nauseum to the guys who are here, a line from Pope Benedict Emeritus now, who used to say over and over again, to be a Christian is not the result of an ethical choice, but the result of an event, an encounter, a meeting with the living God and the person of Jesus Christ. This and nothing less is what it means to be a Christian. So we said the new evangelization is new in ardor. That's a kind of old-fashioned word. What in the world is ardor? Ardor is zeal, fervor, passion. Are you passionate about Jesus? Passionate about Jesus. Are you zealous for Jesus? Are you fervent for Jesus? Are we fervent for the gospel? Are we passionate about helping this world come to know him? Dr. Ray Garendi. To vent or not. If I get it off my chest, then I feel better. I've got to vent. Is this so? It's old theory. Somewhat like a catharsis. You've got to purge yourself of these emotions and Lord help anyone who's standing in the way. It's old theory. It's inaccurate. Venting is generally not good for the hearers, and it's not good for the venter. Venting may be good for dryers. It's not good for people. When we vent, we become more likely to vent. And when we are more likely to vent, we are more likely to hurt and say things we shouldn't say. Careful on the venting. Better to think about what you have to say before you vent. The best, 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 best of Cresta in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 21. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Paul Kengar. Slavery in history, slavery in the Catholic Church. His book is called The Worst of Indignities. 
Well, I want to ask one question, somewhat academic, but I'm, you're the best one to ask, I guess. You have, in, in 1435, 1434, 1435, the Catholic Church has papal documents condemning slavery. Um, and then in, and then you have what people call the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade in 1444. Then you've got these two documents from Nicholas V, uh, Dum Divras and Romanus Pont- Pontifex. Does anybody try to figure out how those documents relate to one another? In other words, when you've got papal documents, these magisterial documents condemning slavery, and then, you know, 20 years later, you've got two documents which, you know, the consensus is that these seem to somehow support slavery. What happened in a space of 20 years, 30 years? Well, the short answer is I don't think anybody really has quite figured it out. Some people are trying to, and I think they're not being very charitable about it. Yeah. And and and, and now the Father Adele, who I noted earlier, who's um, very harsh on the Church, and especially on some of the encyclicals that I think you know clearly condemned black slavery in particular. Yeah. Uh, it, now, ironically, he's actually quite charitable to Nicholas V okay. on on these two documents, and and he actually says that. And in fact, this is a direct quote. He said, "Did the Pope really know what he was actually writing about and authorizing in this bull?" Yeah. Question mark. Okay. And from the look of things, uh, as the above shows, it is to say the least that he was completely out of touch with the actual situation of things on the ground mm. in West Africa while issuing this bull. In fact, Father Adal Al seems to portray Nicholas V as misled or duped. Okay. Uh, okay. And 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 which which I think which I think would make sense because again it just doesn't fit. You're right. And then right. and then and then after that, I mean a century later, June fifteen thirty seven, Pope Pope Paul the third um, issued Sublimus Deus, and and that's on the enslavement and evangelization of Indians. And now 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 so people, if let's say you just wanted to start there, okay, yeah, fifteen thirty seven. Right there. Now that's the century before 1619, right, right? Right. A Plymouth Rock, the Mayflower, John Winthrop aboard the Arabella, everything. All right. Now, now Paul the Third says in June 1537 that he he credits the institution of slavery to quote the enemy of the human race unquote <laughs> Satan. All right. And 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 this is what our Pope said in 1537. Okay. This is. 500 years ago. On the enslavement and evangelization of Indians. Exactly. Mm-hmm. He, he wrote this. This is, cannot be disputed, what he's saying here. Desiring to provide ample remedy for these evils, we define and declare by these our letters that said Indians, and listen to this, Al, and all other people who may later be discovered by Christians hmm. are by no means to be deprived of their liberty or the possession of their property, even though they may be outside the faith of Jesus Christ, and that they may and should freely and legitimately enjoy their liberty and the possession of their property, nor should they be in any way enslaved. All right? So he's saying that in 1537 about these Indians and, and, quote, 
all other people who may later be discovered by Christians. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Regardless Pretty of whether clear. they're Christians. Yeah. That is indisputable, man. Don't come to me and say, uh, well, you got to wait till Leo the 13th, about 1895, <laughs> or Vatican II in the 1960s. If, if you think that, you're, you're ignorant. Yeah. And, 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 and you need to look at this document because you're wrong. Yeah. Okay. This is in 1537. So even if you want to ignore the stuff from 1434 and 1435 and start your narrative with Nicholas V and dumb diverses, which you can't do because that's not scholarly and that wouldn't be accurate. Right. All right. But, but okay, it, it, just start with 1537. All yeah. right. That's 300 years before Wilberforce. Right. All right. The, uh, that, that's 330 years be, be, be before the American Civil War. Uh, you can't ignore stuff like this. And, and and that's reflective generally of what the church taught from a, in, in formal statements and cyclicals beginning in 1434. I think part of the problem too is that Catholics make uh, make a big deal of teaching authority. A lot of us mm-hmm. came into full communion with the Catholic Church because we we thought that Jesus actually intended there to be ongoing uh, teaching authority uh, in the church. But a lot of people don't, and so what they say is they don't care what the church taught. They are only interested in what Christians did. And I think yes. it's important for us to point out that what we're defending is the church's teaching. We're not, we're not defending everybody's behavior. Well, and, and a very important point on that. Now, some people listening might say, well, you know, uh, Georgetown University apologized right. for um, owning and selling a bunch of slaves in the 1800s. Um, they did, and that's good that they apologized, and they were wrong. And there are uh, there are other orders that have done stuff like that. In mm-hmm. fact, the, the the scholar, I think her name is Shannon Williams, if I got it wrong, I apologize. She's doing a lot of work on, on this subject. But uh, take Georgetown in the mid-1800s. Okay, all right. Um, there was a guy named St. John DeMatha. <laughs> He's a saint in our church, all right? He lived from the year 1160 to 1213, okay? <laughs> this is like six centuries before Georgetown, yeah. okay? He founded an entire order of the Most Holy Trinity to ransom Christian slaves, wow. all right? There's another guy, St. Peter in Alaska, 1189 to 1256, called the Ransomer, all right? He was doing the same thing. That's 900 years ago, all right? (laughs) There are the Spanish Dominicans from from the Salamanca school in the 15th and 16th century. Mm -hmm. Uh, Francisco de Vitoria, um, Antonio Montesinos, who gave an amazing sermon, I am a voice crying in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. Melchor Cano, de Vitoria, by the way, is considered the father of international law. I was going to point that out, right. Yeah. yeah, Dominic de Soto, Bartolome de las Casas. Yeah. These guys were unbelievable what they were doing. Yeah. And, 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 and also, the cover of, of my book has St. Peter Claver. I wish everybody could just know the story of St. Peter Claver. Give us a little story. Unbelievable. Leo XIII said, no other person in the history of Christianity other than Jesus Christ has impressed me as much as St. Peter Claver. So, so, yeah, I mean, think about that. So you have this Jesuit, uh, 1580 to 1654. He called himself the slave of the slaves, the, the slave to Negroes, 
he called himself. It, he would he would row out. He he couldn't even wait for for the ship to come to the shore. All right, he would get a couple oarsmen and row out to the ship as soon as it was coming in from from northern Africa. And the in the guts of the ship, the people were in there for weeks. These poor souls Ugh. rotting, right, dying, vomiting. You know, excrement all over the horrible, horrible, inhuman treatment of these poor people. The most hardened sailors couldn't even go down, to, go down there to clean the place. Peter Claver would would row there, get into the bottom of, of the ship, go in, wipe their faces with his, with his cloak, kiss their faces, mm. um, you know, bless them, baptize them. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of them. Uh, it was unbelievable what, what Peter Claver did. And the church is filled with these holy men and women who, I, I profile um, three modern slaves in, in one section of the book, uh, Josephine Bikita, yep. um, Augustus Tolton, mm-hmm. and, and Pierre, du, Pierre Toussaint, who were both mm-hmm. Americans. Uh, it, all three of them benefited from kind Catholics uh, who got them into seminaries, who who sought their freedom, yeah. who who stood out for treating them better than everyone else was doing. Now, it's not to say that there weren't Catholics along the way who mistreated these people. There were. Sure. In, it, in, in fact, the, 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 the priest who got Augustus Tolton into a seminary had to write a letter to, like, every Catholic seminary in the United States, and he was rejected by all of them because he was black. Yeah. So he said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to send them to Rome. Yeah. And yeah. and that's where they accepted them, yeah. right? Yeah. But but you but these are stories of great Catholics who truly lived the faith and and lived the teachings of the church. Um, you know, all the way back to not just our church. I should add New Testament Galatians, right? Neither Jew nor Gentile, slave yeah. or free, uh, male or female. So um, it, it, it's also a story of great individuals doing truly heroic and saintly things to free slaves, and also I feature a number of ex-slaves um, who became saints and even became popes, yeah. including St. Gregory the Great. Well, this is, again, this is such this is so important. We need to push back against the profound misunderstandings there. So how to be an anti-racist? Give us a lesson. <laughs> yeah, so, so to, how to be an anti-racist? Is uh, we have one do what Jesus would do, and uh, you know WWJD right? right? What would Jesus do? And uh, I I conclude the book by by talking about a wonderful um, lecture given by Archbishop Gomez a couple years ago, and he was telling us to proclaim Christ, not these new pseudo religious movements right. that preach things like critical race theory. Yeah, and you know critical race theory. Uh, those of it that that is you know, uh, you know Marxist-based critical race theory uh, it, it do not what Karl Marx did. I mean Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. said you know just just follow the teachings of Christ. Right. Right. right? We're made in the image of God. So you know, uh, you know don't do what these Marxist-based critical race theory scholars do. Do what Jesus would do and follow the teachings of the Church, which has centuries, millennia of examples and statements from truly holy men and women on how we're supposed to treat our fellow human beings. Yeah. And we, you know, p- people, um, we, sh- we, we judge, we, we ought to judge communities uh, 
on the best that they produce, not the worst. And mm-hmm. I think this is why it's so frustrating to hear people talk about uh, cast dispersions on the church. Um, and all I can say is, why don't you take a look at some of these saints that you're referring to here, uh, Paul, because these are ma- stories of human magnificence, because they're human beings who have laid their lives out in pursuit of Christ. And you mentioned uh, St. Peter Claver, um, Venerable Pierre Dussant, uh, Venerable Augustus Tolton, uh, St. Uh, Josephine Paquita, uh, and you've got, you you list a whole St. Onesimus. This is a great story. Why don't you tell the yeah. story of Onesimus? Because he's right in the yeah. New Testament. Well, well, that's exactly right. Yeah, in fact, he was he was first century, and uh, he had been a slave, and 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 he was martyred. Um, so was Felicity. Um, that's right, Saint Felicity. Perpetu- yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Moses the Black, yeah. who was about the year three thirty to four hundred five. Saint Patrick, fourth century. And by the way, I would point out with people like Peter Claver, right? Some would say, well, why didn't he end slavery? Well, because he couldn't in his time, <laughs> right. right? But but he did he did more than that. He wiped their faces. Yeah. He loved them. Yeah. Right. Amen. Sometimes that's the best you can do in your time. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much. Wonderful piece of work, and um, I'm so glad you did it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Dr. Paul Kengor, The Worst of Indignities. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health-sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Father Benedict Groeschel. In the church, we speak of seven gifts. Wisdom, understanding, counsel, knowledge, loyalty, courage, and reverence or fear of the Lord. When I speak about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts come, they give you the ability to go beyond your strength. If you're struggling to be a good person, a good member of your religion, you know it's a struggle and you don't always make it. I've been at it many, many decades, and I still struggle and trip and fall and have holes in my socks. Struggling to be a good person, something that we need help at. And this help comes to us by these gifts of the Holy Spirit. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Maybe you've been hearing a lot about the need to make a spiritual communion while participating from home in a live-streamed or broadcast Mass. There's more to it than reciting the act of spiritual communion. We should begin by having sincere repentance for our sins and affirming our belief that Christ's death redeemed us. Next, we call to mind the spiritual gifts found in Christ's sacrifice and thank God earnestly for them. Now we are disposed to pray the traditional prayer of spiritual communion. Jesus, I embrace you and unite myself wholly to you.
Thanks for joining us in that hour. Go to AveMariaRadio.net to follow up on that conversation with Paul Kangor. I want to read briefly from his book now. Uh, he points out the valid criticism that there were a lot of white Christians who supported slavery who had slaves. And Paul writes that it cannot be stated strongly enough. It was also white Christians who spearheaded the abolitionist movement. For every crazed, crude Southern Bible man who sadistically whipped his slaves, there were brave, unflinching Christian voices fighting slavery, like Charles Finney, Samuel J. May, Louis Tappan, and more. Their stirring appeals to abolish slavery were infused with the love of Christ and their thoroughly Christian motivations. Their letters calling for political abolition of slavery sound more like religious tracts, which indeed they were. These Christians did not fail their faith. They lived up to their faith. Slavery would not have ended without their witness. Again, that's Paul Kinkor from his book, The Worst of Indignities, The Catholic Church and Slavery, which is available for you in the online store at AveMariaRadio.net. Coming up in the next hour, we continue our 2023 countdown. Mona Sharon joining us to discuss one of the biggest news stories of the year, that is the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. And we also talk with Helen Alvary about the plan for protecting religious liberty. Would be remiss if we did not give out a congratulations to everybody at Marshalltown, Iowa, another member of the EWTN radio family celebrating 20 years with us. So congrats to Bob and everybody else at Catholic Radio of Marshalltown from your friends at EWTN radio. More to come on Cresta in the afternoon. Broadcasting from the studios of Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Al Cresta is ready for conversations of consequence. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another hour of the 2023 Cresta in the Afternoon Countdown. And we actually have a very short intro in this hour because we're getting right to the interviews. And so I wanted to just let you know what's coming up at number 20 in the countdown. Hamas uses Israel's humanity against it. One of the biggest news stories in the year. We'll look back at an interview with Mona Sharon and then look with Helen Alvary about religious freedom after the sexual revolution. All that coming up in this hour of the countdown after this news break. Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. This is your Ave Maria Radio News for Thursday, December 22nd. It's the Feast of Blessed Judah of D.C. Bodenberg. Today's news brought to you by Ave Maria University. Your vocation location is at AveMaria.edu. At least 15 people are dead and two dozen others are injured after a mass shooting at a university in Prague. Ross Collins says police officers were deployed to Charles University in the center of the Czech capital. Videos purportedly showing the gunman dressed in all black and aiming a weapon over the side of a balcony. Other videos showing students sheltering high up on the side of a building on a narrow ledge just underneath a balcony. Other footage showing hundreds of people fleeing the university and thousands running away in the center of the Czech capital. This is a very busy time of year for Prague, which has lots of festive markets, which are very popular and that shooting coming just four days before Christmas. Officials saying the gunman was also killed. Former New York City mayor and Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani has filed for bankruptcy. 
NBC News' Ken Delanian says it comes after a Georgia jury decided last week that he must pay more than $148 million in damages for defaming two election workers. This defamation judgment is not dischargeable in the bankruptcy. It's on pause now because he's filing for bankruptcy. Giuliani claimed he has somewhere between $100 and $500 million in liabilities. He said that he has between $1 and $10 million in assets. Top Biden administration officials will head to Mexico in the coming days as there's a surge of migrants crossing the southern border. Additional enforcement actions are urgently needed so that key ports of entry can be reopened across our shared border. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby saying the Secretary of State and DHS Secretary will meet with the president of Mexico. The administration is facing sharp criticism on both sides of the aisle. There's been a record number of migrant encounters. From your Avi Maria Radio.net news desk, I'm Steve Clark. The best. 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 Of Crest in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 20. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now is Mona Charon. She's a syndicated columnist, policy editor for The Bulwark, uh, host of the Beg to Differ podcast, and you can follow her on Twitter at Mona Charon, that's C-H-A-R-E-N, and we'll have uh, it listed for you on our website as well. Mona, thanks for joining me today. I have long enjoyed your columns, but I don't think we've ever had the chance to talk. No, but it's delightful to meet you, or at least uh, hear you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Um is October 7th going to be remembered as one of those uh, dates in history uh, that serves as a watershed? History is going to go in a different direction as a result. So I do think it will uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, but first, I should note that there is a tremendous amount of effort uh, on the part of many um, Hamas apologists and many uh uh, people on the far left in uh, in this country and around the world uh, to simply ignore or erase what happened on October 7th mm -hmm. or to contextualize it and somehow justify yep. and say we have to understand that this is the result of decades of oppression and so forth. Um, and, and that kind of um, moral obtuseness, that kind of double standard where if, it's, if you're killing and maiming and, and dismembering Jews, then it's something that can be justified. But if it happens to anybody else, it's a war crime. That is an unsustainable moral mm -hmm. position. Um, mm -hmm. But I will tell you that I um, have noticed a shift among some people on the left. I think this has opened up a serious, um, a serious breach mm -hmm. uh, in uh, on the left among people, some of them Jewish, uh, but not all of them, who are appalled to discover that there are people that they thought of as allies yeah. who uh, were not who were not uh, appalled uh, by the by the the, the, the savagery of, and the and the horror. Of October seventh, but we're um, we're kind of okay with it, and we're certainly more critical of Israel for defending herself than they were of Hamas for the initial um, attack. It, it it stuns me to see this. I mean, the, there's a a massive moral difference between targeting noncombatants, all right, and in the fog of war, killing noncombatants 
One's a form of murder. Another is a tragic consequence of self-defense. I don't think that's hard yeah. to understand, but many no, on the left I, are ignoring it. They are utterly ignoring it. I want to say to these people, you know, do you recognize how many innocent civilians were killed by the Union Army in our Civil War? <laughs> um, right. You know, many, many. And, and, and does that mean that this was illegitimate, that they should have paused, that they should have stopped the war because... Right. You know, in the process, civilians were killed. That is what war is. That is why an unprovoked war, the way Hamas uh, attacked Israel, is, you know, it's, it's a crime uh, to, to start a war that way. But you cannot, I mean, the rule of life cannot be, the rule of international relations cannot be, that if you are a terrorist government or a terrorist group that controls a piece of territory, there are no rules that apply to the tactics that you use. You can commit any crime. But then if you hide among your own civilians, then a, a, a Western, a, 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 um, a law-abiding power, a power that wants to abide by the rule of law, um, cannot respond. Yeah. Well, if that is the rule, then pretty soon the world is just going to consist of regimes like Hamas right. because it gives them carte blanche to do what they want. Then they hide among their own civilians and, you know, Israel or any uh, freedom loving and rule abiding country cannot respond. That's just, that cannot be the rule. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is, I think the vitally important point that you make, and that is here, here you have Hamas which has shielded its military assets in schools, hospitals, residential homes, and um, are using uh, the citizens of Gaza uh, as shields, which mean that they're not only willing to sacrifice Jews, they're actually willing to sacrifice the very people they're supposed to be fighting for. In That's exactly right. That yeah. is exactly right. And, and you know, I said in, a, in the first column that I wrote on uh, October 8th, I said Hamas makes war on Israeli civilians and Palestinian yeah. civilians. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what they do. Um, and and it, is, it is not also, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, they want a state of their own. That's what this is about, the two-state solution. No, no. There are Palestinians who want a two-state solution, right. and there are many well-intentioned people and, and honest, good people who want the Palestinians to have a state of their own. I want the Palestinians to have a state of their own. Sure. But, but, but that is not what Hamas wants. Hamas is, is, a, is an Islamist, jihadist group that wants to kill as many Jews as possible and wants to obliterate Israel. You know, people chant, from the river to the sea, <laughs> and they don't even know what they're saying. Yeah. Because what that calls for, the river they're talking about is, of course, the Jordan, and the sea is the Mediterranean. Well, what lies between the river and the sea? The state of Israel. Right. And so what it contemplates is at least massive ethnic cleansing of 10 million people, including a million Arabs, um, uh, Arab Israelis, mm -hmm. um, or, or it contemplates and nobody, after 10-7, nobody can say that it's crazy to imagine that what they really want is mass annihilation right. of, of right. Jews yeah. and Israelis. It's, 
it is, again, something that we, I think, many of us thought was in the past. Um, yeah. And that is this hate, irrational, reflexive hatred of the Jewish people. I mean, this is not even about the state of Israel. I mean, it is about the state of Israel. But there's also a, a hatred of the Jewish people that shows up here. I mean, in paragraph yeah. two of the, the 1988 uh, charter, it says uh, the reason for ex- Hamas's reason for existence is to obliterate Israel. But also in that 88 charter, there's also the talk about killing Jews, uh, individual Jews. Uh, the later charter, the 2017 charter, tries to avoid sounding quite so uh, barbaric. But even there, mm-hmm. they, they make this equation. They say, they try to distinguish anti-Zionism from anti-Semitism. But mm-hmm. no, that doesn't work uh, in even the yeah, 2017 I mean, charter. That's right. It doesn't work. And, you know, people, people get very touchy if you say that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. And they say, well, there are some, some Jews who are anti-Zionists, and there are on the very fringes of very, you know, certain sects of mm-hmm. Jews believe that you actually shouldn't have a Jewish state uh, because uh, it should only happen when the Messiah yeah. uh, comes. Okay, there is that view, but those people do not want to murder <laughs> Jews in fast numbers. That's right. You know, and... Um, uh, but the fact is that when you look at many of the people who call themselves anti-Zionists and claim that they are not anti-Semites, what are they doing? They are, they are painting stars of David on the homes of Jewish people in Paris. Wow. They are harassing Jewish students at American universities. They are blocking uh, Jews uh, from from uh, feeling safe at, at Cornell by um, posting hateful and threatening messages on social media. You know, that, what do those Jews in, in the United States, in Paris, in London, have to do with Zionism? Right. That is not anti-Zionism. That's just good old-fashioned anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was your column where you described a mob in Sydney, Australia, that had gathered to right. celebrate uh, October seventh, and they 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 were crying, "Gas the Jews!" Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. It is so horrifying. I mean, I for the last three weeks, I I have been a bit in a state of shock because. Of course, one knows that there is this kind of hatred out there, but in the face of the kind of atrocities that we saw Hamas commit, and if, if you want chapter and verse, I would recommend listening to what Anthony Blinken described about some of the things that were done. But if you have a weak stomach, don't. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, but it, you know, in the wake of something like that, where... The basics of just being a decent person and basic humanity, you would have thought would have made just pretty much everybody except for a few lunatics on this planet say, oh, my God, that is just atrocious. That is so awful. We sympathize, you know, so much with these Israeli people. And this is the sort of thing that cannot be, uh, you know, that no civilized country could ever tolerate and so on. And instead... I mean, at a moment like that, to see people laughing yeah. and 
celebrating and putting pictures of paragliders on their flags. Oh, yes. As if, oh, my God. I mean, uh, so I am still a little bit in shock. And it's, it's, it is a revival of this oldest hatred, this hatred of Jews that uh, even now, I mean, even though I was aware that it was out there, it's still shocking to yeah. me. It's still shocking. I saw a, a, a short video of uh, allegedly a Hamas woman shouting and sobbing back and forth and really uh, condemning Hamas. Do you have any idea how um, residents of Gaza uh, feel towards Hamas as their government? I don't have a good sense so of that. It, you know, one of, one of the things that is so tragic about these situations is, you know, where people don't have any control. You know, they really, Palestinian civilians really are suffering, and it isn't their fault. It's that they live under a system where they have no say. So, you know, Hamas took power. There was a disputed election mm -hmm. in 2006. Uh, and then there was a short war between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, and Hamas took power. And they killed 300 uh, members of the Palestinian Authority in the course of seizing power in Gaza. Okay, well, that was, that's it. There hasn't been an election since then. Now, there was an opinion poll that was taken right, you know, before 10-7, uh, in which 62% of the residents of Gaza said that they wanted to maintain the ceasefire with Israel. Mm. Um, and, uh, and a similar number said that they did not any longer want to be ruled by Hamas, that wow. they would prefer to be ruled by the Palestinian Authority, which is also corrupt, but yeah. not nearly as terrible as, yeah. as Hamas. But they don't, there was, there's never been another election. Yeah. And so they are, you know, they are victims of of their own very evil and and crazed leaders who who have you know this this maniacal desire um, to do something to destroy Israel, which is not possible, you know, right. and and only leads to more suffering for everyone. And uh, and you know they are not susceptible of reason either. Um, so it is. It is very tragic for the for the Palestinian people. They are the worst led people on the planet. Yeah, one uh, could say. Uh, it you know this is uh, you hear people saying that at least they have the world's attention now for the Palestinian cause. Well, I, I happen to come across the documentary one day in September about the Munich um, kidnapping and killing, and the one surviving. Uh, terrorist from 1972 said that he was proud that his move, his kidnapping and killing of the Jewish athletes brought the Palestinian cause to the world's attention. That's 51 years ago. It doesn't sound to me like this is a very effective strategy for getting justice for the Palestinians. Well, that's right. And, and the other thing is, you know, there is this I mean, this crazy inverted attention to anything that concerns Israel. You know, there are so there were three hundred thousand civilians killed in Syria in its civil war. Yeah. But we never hear about them. The world's attention is not riveted on them no, or true. on you know so many other the Rohingya in Burma. Yeah. You know, we Mona, the music is just on. cutting us off here, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Thanks. We'll talk again. <laughs>
It's time for Family Man with Dr. Gregory Popcha. Want a simple way your family can share Christ's love with someone today? Practice the ministry of kindness. Kindness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's an outward sign that the Holy Spirit is alive in our hearts. So when your family goes out to dinner or runs errands or goes out for any reason, remind each other that your mission is to leave everyone you meet a little bit happier than you found them. Be sure to speak politely to the server at the restaurant. Smile at the people in the store. Let someone go ahead of you. Remind your kids to hold the door for others instead of running them over. Look for little ways you can give others a little hug from God through your loving witness. To discover more ways your family can celebrate the liturgy of domestic church life, check out the newest editions of Parenting with Grace and visit CatholicCounselors.com. I'm Dr. Greg Popchak, but you can call me Family Man. To discover more ways faith can enrich your life, visit CatholicCounselors.com. 60 Seconds with Father Mitch Pacwa. Buddhism itself has a lot of different forms. There's no one type of Buddhism. When you get to Buddha himself, he was a complete agnostic and uh, supposed to have been a very wealthy prince who had everything but found that this was all hollow and empty, especially in the face of death. What he came up with as a basic principle is that the source of all suffering in life is having desires. So you need to free yourself of all desires, and then you won't suffer in this life anymore. This would be very different from Christianity, where we don't want to give up our desire for God. First, we do believe that there is one God. Second, we do believe that it's three persons in one God. And thirdly, that the goal of life is not emptiness, but is union with God. And through Jesus Christ, that's the way of salvation. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Finding good health care, encouragement for healthier living, or solid spiritual direction can be frustrating. That's why the Catholic Healthcare Alternative, CMF Curo, is offering a health sharing option. Curo's Christ centered wellness services include Catholic wellness coaching, spiritual direction, and a Catholic community supporting your health and wellness needs. Visit CMFCuro.com to learn more. That's CMFCuro.com where you can experience Christ's healing love in your health and wellness. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria Mutual Funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Cresta in the Afternoon is underwritten by the following nonprofit organization. Real Estate for Life. Buying or selling your home or business property? Real Estate for Life can connect you with one of 1,400 pro-life real estate agents around the world. When Real Estate for Life receives a referral fee, they donate 70% to Ave Maria Radio and Human Life International. More information at realestateforlife.org or 877-LIFE-US1. That's realestateforlife.org. This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. 
CharityMobile.com. The best. 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 Of Cresta in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 19. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. On June 22nd, the feasts of St. Thomas More and St. John Fisher, the USCCB kicked off Religious Freedom Week. And um, my guest thinks that's good, but there's still a lot of work to be done. My guest is Helen Alvare. She holds the Robert Levy Endowed Chair in Law and Liberty at the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. She also teaches courses on family law, law and religion, and property law. She publishes on matters concerning marriage, parenting, non-marital households, and the First Amendment religion clauses, and is a member of the Holy See's Dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life. She's the author of a new book called Religious Freedom After the Sexual Revolution, and I think this could be, uh, change the way that uh, Catholic uh, representatives even present themselves in legal pleadings and in public statements. And Helen, it's great to have you here. Thank you. I'm very appreciative. Thank you. You point out uh, at the very beginning what I think we all know, but don't often consider the, its significance, and that is it wasn't too long ago that there was a broad consensus about sexual responsibility in America. Uh, with the exception of contraception, the Catholic view on sexual matters, eh, pretty unremarkable. Uh, there's a lot of overlap with non-Catholic Christians, and even um, men and women of goodwill. Uh, the consensus b- begins to break down, uh, I assume, with the widespread use of the pill and then access to abortion. Why did it break down? Why did the consensus break down? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, I think it was sort of the interaction of law and culture, back and forth, is is how I see a lot of it. Mm -hmm. You know, we already, as a country, have issues, is a nice way of putting it, with um, very dramatic individualism, uh, with materialism. We uh, already were people whose you know, even when the churches were very full, weren't necessarily, um, you know, experiencing a personal relationship with God right. and letting Him direct our lives. Um, there were other issues in the country, the sort of, you remember the sort of the youth revolution in the 60s and 70s. <clears throat> there yeah. was the I've still got against, scars from that. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> reaction against institutions. There's also, you know, scientism, the idea that science explains everything and no other explanation, including supernatural ones, matters. And um, the combination of this, as it interacted with, in the United States, you know, the separation of sex from kids, the separation of sex from marriage, the separation of marriage from kids, yeah. and so on, that happened in the legal opinions, back and forth, sort of reconfirming the worst aspects of each other, um, to the point where, and, and, and then you add some very practical factors, the huge money and increasingly sort of elite um, support for the separation of sex from marriage and kids, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the idea that anything that oppressed human desire, an institution, a religion, um, uh, the family, <laughs> uh, anything that was a given, marriage, 
a person's sex, mm-hmm. the relationship between sex and the fact that it brings new life, was, um, was not acceptable to us any longer. And this was already stirring in the culture. You know, you go, there's a terrific book by a guy named Carl Truman um, that really puts that together. And, you know, you go from the individual to the individual as primarily sexual to the sexual as political. And, and, And you get where we are today, which is really a, a very dramatic rejection of sort of some basic biological and social realities. Um, and uh, it's a huge stew, but it has, as one of its main effects, is, is a very severe rejection that we're seeing now of, of all Catholic and what used to be sort of commonly accepted American familial norms. Right. Uh, and so it's is it this this idea that liberation or emancipation from traditional norms and standards is what makes for human flourishing is that oh, part of it oh very much so i mean the the idea that anything given is not it's not worthy of the human person. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no. We're, we're free. We're independent. We make our own lives. We are self-made men and women. Mm-hmm. Um, you may remember that it was a great theme of Pope Benedict's to say, wait a minute, all these things that you are representing as external constraints, pressures, demands, the big no, coming from uh, the church or the structure of the family, are actually internal needs and desires that the person has, and the church, and up to a certain point in history, the state, are simply acknowledging what is already true and obvious. But even these things became rejected. Yeah. I remember when divorce became uh, popular in the late, late 60s, but into the 70s in particular, and then through the 80s. And then the social science evidence began to come in. Um, when I was a kid, it was common to say, well, you know, divorce is better for the children, uh, better than growing up in a bickering household, uh, mm-hmm. better that the, the parents separate. Then the social science data came in saying, wait a minute, we, there are real problems with adult children of divorce. Uh, yeah. Are we going to see the same thing here? Are you know, we... you've, you've hit yeah. on some good news. <laughs> so some of the, you know, the, the, the marriage of faith and reason that is a hallmark of Catholic Christianity is so very, very evident in the realm of the family. And, and, and sociology and psychology and biology have become some of our best friends right now. Yeah. So in the same way that like in the early 90s, you saw the questioning of what had become the standard line that divorce was always better yeah. for personal happiness and for the children, began to alter. And we began to learn, for example, that most divorces do not happen after a tremendous amount of internal bickering and dissension in the household. They, they, that's not, there are some that do, and there's a lot of discussion about some, in some cases, children really do need to be removed from sure. that. Of course, the Catholic Church would <clears throat> would say, let's try to do that short of divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, the evidence now is beginning to come in on cohabitation. You even have evidence of the difficulties that cohabiting couples later 
face when they get married, their risks of divorce are, cre- are greater, the difficulties that individuals, particularly who have serially cohabited, which is now, I don't know, I think it's something like 40% of all cohabitants have wow. cohabited before. Um, and it undermines happiness, certainty, a sense of um, confidence in one's spouse. It, it leads to relationship models as testing models instead of as a commitment that leads to action mm-hmm. to affirm the commitment. Now we're seeing um, this in the realm of transgender surgeries, where, and it's, it's happening more quickly, you know. The, the backlash is popping up. <clears throat> the question of not only the well-being of young people, but also older people who go through this, and, and, and the physical um, suffering and the psychological suffering that they're experiencing. We know so much more um, scientifically, that is affirming the church's reaction to this, and it happened way faster than the uh, the backlash to divorce. So the only place that I don't see significant questioning is with regard to same-sex relations and marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that seems to be a bridge too far, mm-hmm. um, and I'm really not seeing that. But but elsewhere, there is more searching inquiry, and you see misgivings in places as widespread as, you know, the Atlantic Monthly or yeah, Newsweek, yeah. or sort of more mainstream things. And um, this, is, this is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, we, we, we do believe that uh, a Catholic way of life leads to human flourishing, you know, broadly spoken. And so we should expect that there would be some empirical evidence in favor yes. of that, some measure, some measurables. Yes. Um, and the difficulty, of course, in the scientific uh, academic world is um, allowing researchers doing really good research to publish. Um, they are often just kept out of the journals if they come up with a conclusion that is not to everybody's liking mm-hmm. in sort of elite circles. Um, or if they are allowed to publish the attacks on them, the attempts to get them fired from their universities or to, you know, make sure they never get tenure or that they are never really permitted to publish again is very, very strong. It's... um. For being as I am in an academic environment, yeah. I see this in legal journals, and I think it's very, very strong in the in the scientific journals as well. That's, I mean that that kind of flies in the face of the kind of naive view I guess we had of uh, academic work that you were always supposed to be open to new information. Uh, but what are is it are are professional guilds now? Um, re- requiring a certain orthodoxy of its members. Yes, <laughs> I think the short answer is yes. Yeah. There is a backlash. I mean, this huge debate we're having over what is free speech yeah. and what's yeah. it for and who really supports it um, is a good debate. Um, you know, I don't I don't like to be a person who just says, oh, polarization is terrible. You know, having mm. fights is terrible. No, you, you need to have right. a, a big old conversation, and sometimes it's, it's a tough one uh, about differences. But in the, in the academic arena, I can tell you in the, in the legal arena, you know, the University of Chicago took a stand in favor of free speech. My school, uh, the Antonin Scalia Law School, uh, is, is right in there taking a stand for free speech. 
Um, I, just as a beautiful example, you know, after the Dobbs opinion came down in 2022, most law schools put out a statement <clears throat> that said, you know, the, the, the world as we know it is over. Women are returned to a phoneless, stateless, <laughs> you know, 17th century existence. It's all over for them. And my law school uh, put out a note that said, hey, we're going to have a debate on this. Right. And we're going to have the woman who argued the Casey decision and the leading pro-life feminist in the United States right now, um, and we're going to have a debate on it. And um, we're waiting for the Supreme Court this week to issue an opinion on the free speech of a website designer who refrained from creating one to celebrate a same-sex wedding. Um, I think the free speech will win in this case. And again, my law school and some others will say, hey, we're going to have a debate on this. And yeah. Yeah. We've, we've got scholars on both sides. And I, I, one hopes that people's better angels understand that this is really a great idea and they yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. Helen, hold it there. We're going to have to take a break. We'll come back and continue the conversation. My guest is Helen Alvarez. Uh, Religious Freedom After the Sexual Revolution. It is outstanding work and uh, may well be one of those books that changes the nature of the debate. We'll talk a little bit about how Catholics uh, presenting themselves. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. Are you longing to hear God's voice? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you are seeking and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord, teach me to pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. Do you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the United States. Consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while emphasizing how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, visit AveMariaLaw.edu. Support for this Ave Maria radio program comes in part by the non-for-profit St. Anthony Services. Are you shopping for mortgage products, Catholic investing, Catholic health, real estate, or estate planning? StAnthonyServices.org can help you find a Catholic professional for these needs. They regularly connect faithful citizens with faith-based professionals that share our Christian values. More information at stanthonyservices.org or 877-LIFE-US1. What qualities are embodied in truth and goodness? The Catholic Catechism asserts that the practice of goodness is accompanied by the joy and splendor of spiritual beauty. Truth, says the Catechism, is beautiful in and of itself. Because man is endowed with an intellect, truth in the rational expression of the created and the uncreated reality is necessary. 
But when truth is beyond words, the depths of the human heart, the exaltation of the soul, the mystery of God, other forms of complementary human expression are needed. Before God revealed himself in words, he revealed himself in the universal language of creation, the order and harmony of the cosmos, which both child and scientist can discern. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Dr. Ray Garendi. Most experts don't think like you do. Go to the computer. Type in child, self-esteem, search. Last time I looked, 31 million options. The experts believe self-esteem is the preeminent moral virtue. Type in child, humility, search. Crickets. Why? When was the last time you heard a secular expert talk about humility? But that's at the very core of the virtues we want to teach our children. Always remember one thing. When an expert tells you how to raise your child, you have to ask a question. Is this expert of the same worldview that I am? Does he or she value the same virtues I want to impart to my children? The best. 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 best, best, best of Crest in the Afternoon Countdown. Number 19. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me is Helen Alvarez. She holds the Robert Levy Endowed Chair in Law and Liberty at the Anthony Scalia Law School at George Mason University and has published Religious Freedom After the Sexual Revolution, which gives us really uh, an agenda for the uh, future and how we present ourselves in the public square as Catholics. Uh, I want to go to uh, your about this whole question of Catholic identity, but before we go there, let me, I just have to ask you, 1992, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, and that famous passage um, that Justices O'Connor, Kennedy, and Souter signed on to, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. End quote. <laughs> You're at a loss. Yeah, you just you look at that and you say, "Well, we def- that means family's insignificant to this question." I mean, um, I, that seems to be about as vacuous a statement as one can find, or or exceedingly yeah. individualistic. And I and, the, and then they use it again, right? I mean, didn't they use that in in Lawrence v. Texas? And they used it in uh, the Obergefell opinion, they um, did. Okay. inventing the right to same-sex marriage, yes. Doesn't it seem this is a solipsistic universe, apparently? I mean, yes. I don't get that. The individual exists entirely autonomous here. He's yes. not part of a community. Uh, and I... How is how is this passage generally regarded in the legal world? <laughs> it, it's um, 
It has various fun names in the legal world. Some of it call it Justice Kennedy's Ah Sweet Mystery of Life, it, you know, um, <laughs> passage. It's, it's kind of Justice Kennedy in a nutshell. Um, other people just call it the Wacko Passage. Yeah. Um, it has been repudiated in Dobbs. Dobbs, what that passage was attempting to do uh, well, other than, you know, find any basis it could find in a storm to persist with the legal right to abortion. Right, right. It was, its legal purpose was to say, listen, and I, I don't want to be too boring here, but 14th Amendment to the Constitution says, you know, people have the right to life, <coughs> liberty, and, pro- uh, yeah. and property, and it can't be deprived without due process. Mm-hmm. Well, the question is, what is liberty? Yeah. And the Supreme Court over years has said it's not just a right to, like, fair process, you know, or right to notice of the charges against you and cross-examination. No, it has substantive rights. So the Supreme Court has been mucking around for, you know, over 100 years with defining what are the substantive rights liberty contains. They've been most active in the sexual realm. The first one they named um, in our time was the right to contraception. The next Mm -hmm. one was the right to abortion. The next one was the right to have consensual sex with anyone you want, same or opposite sex. The next one was the right to same-sex marriage. But then, and how did they do that? Well, they had to define, there was obviously nothing in the Constitution that says anything about any of those things. So they had to come up with a description of rights as they understood them, as five out of nine justices understood them, that they thought would encompass whatever people wanted to do with regard to sex, marriage, or parenting. And that was what Justice Kennedy came up with. He said, that's liberty. Well... Interestingly, and don't get me off on this legal tangent too long, but when it came time for the euthanasia folks to say, hey, that includes euthanasia, because if that isn't about defining the meaning of my life, I don't know what it is, the court went, nah, we didn't actually mean it that way. And then along comes Dobbs finally and says, that's just dicta, meaning it is not a, um, an important dispositive part of the opinion. Okay. It's, it, it's not really constitutional law. It's sort of bad poetry. <laughs> and it's not law. And actually, when you want to find what the word liberty means in the Constitution, it clearly can't be invented by five guys at the Supreme Court. So you have to look to the history and traditions of the people and see what Americans have always understood liberty to involve. And at that point, the court says, in Dobbs in particular, listen, the people had never allowed abortion on demand until Roe versus Wade commanded it. It's not what they voted in their laws. It's not what they favored even in legal journals. It's clearly not part of liberty. So they have completely repudiated that definition um, as of Dobbs. It's it's history. I'm, just, I'm also curious here, you mentioned the initial reaction to Dobbs uh, was to say that, you know, we're going back uh, to a time where uh, women were, you know, to be barefoot and pregnant. Yeah. But uh, that's clearly not the case. I mean, as <laughs> <laughs> any pro-life activist will me? tell you. <laughs> uh, so, so I, along with um, a couple of other law professors, and um, Erica Bakiaki, a, a well-known pro-life feminist writer, Teresa Collette, um, Elizabeth Kirk. We put together a brief representing 240 women with terminal degrees, PhD, JDs, mm-hmm. MDs. Mm-hmm. And we gathered the evidence to show that there was absolutely no proof, unlike Casey had, had tried to say or Roe had tried to say, that abortion is linked to women's 
flourishing. Yeah. Yeah. That, in fact, what would be linked to women's flourishing are things like things that actually support women, including allowing them to accept children and not to have the pain of abortion, the regret of abortion, the aftermath of abortion. Yeah. And we actually showed that in the years when abortion rates and ratios were declining, that is, number of abortions per 1,000 women and abortions per, you know, total number of, of uh, pregnancies, that during that time when abortion rates and ratios were dropping like a stone from mid-1990s to about uh, 2020, that every indicia of women's well-being was climbing. More education, more entrepreneurship, yeah. more uh, health, more um, uh, representation in um, as candidates and judges. It's no one can prove that abortion rates correlate with women's well-being. The, the best evidence, in fact, um, coming from self-described pro-choice scientists who were not happy what they found, a, a famous guy named David Ferguson in particular, is that. Overall, abortion harms women more than it benefits them. Oh. <laughs> Not a surprise, let alone what it does to the child, of yeah. course. Yeah. Let me switch gears uh, a bit here to get to the point that you make uh, repeatedly in this uh, new book, Religious Freedom After the Sexual Revolution. And that is that while, you know, we've been winning uh, oftentimes on religious liberty grounds, we haven't necessarily been uh, using the most effective means. Yeah. Um, so our Catholic identity, oftentimes we, we kind of minimize our Catholic identity looking for some uh, you know, freedom which is universally applicable. Um, but Catholic identity, you write, means more than having crucifixes on the wall. It requires right. that we be an integrated community of witness to Christ and that we need to be forthright, that we yeah. oppose the sexual expressionism uh, right. of the culture. And we actually, in our legal pleadings, we present a compelling vision yeah. of God's plan for you know, uh, uh, sexual expression. Yeah. Um, so tell me, tell me how this is, that this yeah. could constitute a new chapter in the way uh, Catholics uh, argue in the courts? I, I wrote this book as a service to Catholic institutions and, and people who wish to speak as, as individual advocates. It was my impression, as you said, that we were winning individual religious freedom cases, but maybe losing the public's regard. Mm -hmm. and, and that I wanted to propose two things. One, that nobody wants to give religious freedom to people they think are going to do bad things. <laughs> right. So right. we have to convince people that what it is that we want to do with this freedom is a beautiful thing and for the common good, that it's loving, that it's yeah. good for people, especially the vulnerable. Second, we were struggling to convince people that our Catholic institutions um, should care about the sex, marriage, and parenting stuff. They would, they would, they, I, I, I summarize this in a part of the book that I headline, Shut Up and Sing, which is <laughs> people say to our Catholic institutions, could you just shut up and provide health care? What, what do you care if the doctor performs abortions elsewhere? Right. Could you just shut up and provide education? What do you care if the, the guidance counselor is same-sex married? Mm -hmm. And what I needed to point out was two things. There's a chapter in the book that I really love that points out that the leading 
empirical called social influence literature yeah. shows that institutions rise or fall with the integrated witness of their employees. So that was one. The other is I needed to show the relationship between the charitable educational healthcare, social services work that we do, and and the stance that we take on sex, marriage, and parenting. The stances that we take in sex, marriage, and parenting are not some unrelated moralistic principle unrelated to the rest of our loving social justice witness. In fact, they are an expression of the Good Samaritan's care for the other person, where, I might add, most of us are actually going to have the the, uh, opportunity to express it. Most people are not saving strangers in large numbers across the globe, but they can save or harm a person in their familial realm. It's also the case that we know that the image of marriage, the love between a man and woman, love between a parent and child, are fundamental images for Catholics for for beginning to understand God as Trinity, the unity in the multiplicity, what God's love looks like, how we're supposed to love Him and one another. The family is, is the architecture of love. And that architecture is no different between our showing it to romantic partners, spouses, children, and our showing it to third parties. In every case, it's first and foremost about showing radical love, showing the priority of God, respecting the human body, human creation, and that you just cannot put the slightest crack between our teachings on love for romantic partners, spouses, children, and our love for third parties in social settings. We can't understand our love for God and one another unless we live them and experience it in the family. Yes, hospitals, schools, social services have to care that this vision of love is preserved because it's no different than the vision of love that constitutes the architecture of their charity. Yeah. Well, now, so we sh- definitely we should accept I mean, that, that's a voice that uh, is going to be unfamiliar. Yes. Uh, and so we should, I mean, do, do you like the phrase countercultural? Does that? Do I like that phrase? Yeah. Yeah, a yeah. little. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, again, I, we can't just be, like, defensive. We really believe our teachings are for the common good. Right. And we really believe that unless we understand this architecture of love that God has given each of us to experience in our families as a way of understanding how we show it in the world, <clears throat> we're in trouble as a Catholic Church. And I think we need to be positive and confident about that, and not just, please give us our religious freedom so we can witness to things you hate. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, recently the Catholic Lawyer Society of Metropolitan Detroit uh, objected to a rule requiring the use of personal pronouns in Michigan courts, and they spent a lot of time actually presenting a Catholic worldview before they got to the particular legal pleadings, and I thought Brilliant. that was interesting. Yeah. Brilliant. And it, it does help people. People, we don't know who's hearing us, right. but it's important to do it positively and lovingly, and someone will hear you. Amen. Helen, thanks so much for all your work, and uh, Thank you. I'm really excited by the book, too. So I appreciate it. Thank okay. you. Helen Alvarez. It's called Religious Freedom After the Sexual Revolution, A Catholic Guide. And again, uh, rarely do I see a book that I believe actually has the potential to change the way things are. Hi, I'm Al Cresta. 
you remember writing your Christmas wish list as a child? In developing countries like Haiti and Guatemala, children don't make Christmas lists, and they don't expect Christmas gifts. All their parents earn must go to food, shelter, and water. Can you picture the joy of surprising a child with their first Christmas gift? Send them a box of joy at boxofjoy.org. A rosary and the story of Jesus is included in every box of joy. Give today at boxofjoy.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. Isn't it awesome that we today do not recognize His presence in the Eucharist? Is it because we really don't go to Him in humbleness of heart and say, Lord, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I want to see you. I want to recognize you. I cannot live without you. Are we saying that? EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you are seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus. God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Go to lordteachmetopray.com, click on the red box, order the Lord Teach Me to Pray series now. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Thank you again for joining us over the last two hours on this Thursday edition of the Crest in the Afternoon Countdown. Looking back at something that Mona wrote that I thought was very profound, she says the 24-7 news cycle, combined with the design of social media, has given our society the memory of a goldfish. We are forever living in the moment. Hamas is banking on that as the memories of the atrocities of its attack are being swallowed up by the increasing death toll in the war. Uh... That's, I think, really something that hit spot on. That whole thing about social media turning us into goldfish gave me a chuckle, but I also was like, you know what? She's right. And so uh, thank you again for joining us. We'll be back with more on tomorrow's Crest in the Afternoon. As we go off the air, Catholic Answers Live is ready to take your calls. And also as we go off the air, one more congratulations to another member of the EWTN radio family, Catholic Radio of Marshalltown, Iowa, celebrating 20 years. So congrats to Bob and everybody else at Catholic Radio of Marshalltown. From your friends at EWTN radio, we'll be back tomorrow with more on Crest in the Afternoon. Have a blessed evening. Cresta in the Afternoon is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. To follow up on any of the guests or information presented on today's program, visit the Cresta Guest Archive at AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-M-A-R-I-A Radio.net. To listen to this or any other edition of Cresta in the Afternoon, visit the audio archives at AveMariaRadio.net. Or to order a CD of the program, call 734-930-4506 or email orders at AveMariaRadio.net. That's 734-930-4506 or orders at AveMariaRadio.net.